I love taking the body weight of a person and dropping it off of a height and increasing the amount of force. Because if you think in sports, it's not a weight in sports that's really breaking us down. It's force. You know, a five ounce baseball is 32 pounds of force and a 90 mile an hour hand, I think, I think was what I, I read. But, um, you know, the basketball doesn't weigh a lot. The football doesn't weigh a lot. A person of 180 pounds moving at whatever miles per hour is a massive amount of force. Walking is two to three times our body weight of force. Jogging, maybe three to four times, five times. So it's not weight per se, but force, 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 force. So, um, if I could take a body weight and generate a massive amount of force with just them creating the stimulus from inside them out with very little outside in, I, I find the quicker tie to it transferring into life. So the quicker the person becomes more athletic. That was Dr. Tommy John speaking on using body weight, high velocity, high force movements to create the maximal transfer to on the field play. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 101 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today for this second century worth of podcasts. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping this one is going to be just as good, if not better, as the first. Hard to believe all the awesome guests that we've had on sharing their knowledge with us. So uh, we're going to kick it off with Dr. Tommy John. He is the son of the famous uh, baseball player, Tommy John. You may or probably have heard of the surgery that's associated with it. Um, where the, with the ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction. I have actually had it myself because of poor javelin technique combined with a lot of power. <laughs> uh, I got a, a different reason than a lot of young baseball players today. In fact, there's 10 times more youth athletes who get the Tommy John uh, surgery than, than there was in the 1990s, from so the 2010s compared to the 1990s. 10 times more surgeries, crazy. Uh, I know we just saw a great uh, episode 100 on youth sports, early specialization, kids not playing anymore, kids not resting, um, just the cultural aspects behind all that. I think this is a great follow-up episode. 
So Dr. Tommy John, he's the son of the major league pitcher. Uh, he also has master's degrees in health and exercise science from Furman University, has over 17 years of health experience that he brings to the table. He is a doctor of chiropractic, as well as just having worked with some of the best in the field and has a very holistic and fully integrated system uh, that he brings to the table. So super excited to talk to him today. Uh, he is also a guy who uses a ton of Jay Schrader training techniques and ideas. In fact, that's how I first found uh, found him through his YouTube videos and looking at like extreme slows, extreme ISO lunges, extreme uh, uh, hangs, like extreme ISO pull-ups and all these things. And I, I, if you know me and, and this podcast and these episodes, I've been digging into the Jay Schrader ideals as much as I possibly can. Um, and when you really get into it, especially not just reading things about it that you find on the internet, but actually talking to people who have trained with the man himself. Uh, there's just so much great stuff in there. And so between the Jay Schrader ideas, between bringing the chiropractic to the table, uh, everywhere that Dr. John has been, he also actually has had um, professional baseball stints as well before shoulder infection uh, from, a, I believe, a surgery ended his career. A ton of great experience, a lot of just really practical and uh, outside the box insight on what makes athletes tick. One of the things that we're gonna get into that I think is phenomenal, and the first time I heard this was from um, a chiropractic student, Alex Lee, who's worked with Dr. Tommy John, and just the uh, emotional, uh, psychological aspects of doing some of the Jay Schrader work in particular, especially like the ISO lunge holds is we're gonna get into on how difficult those can be, and the emotion that goes behind rehab and the emotion that goes behind being the best athlete you could be because if you've been around the sport long enough you realize that you can have the best training program in the world if the mind isn't intentful and invested and there aren't the emotions that go with that you're going to get compromised results so such a great talk today on all levels uh, basically circling on what we're going to talk to youth injury prevention uh, jay schrader training ideas movement and rehab ideas uh, as as well as some good thoughts on the extreme ISOs and some of the mental aspects behind that. So uh, before we get to the show, just so you know, uh, Dr. Uh, Tommy John, he has a new book coming out. It is called Minimize Injury, Maximize Performance, a Sport Parent Survival Guide. Again, if you like the last episode and you have kids or work with children and or just care about the this epidemic of childhood injury and this which the modern sports youth machine has kind of inflicted upon upon us. It's a great resource, and I would totally recommend it. So with that said, let's get on to the show with Dr. Tommy John. Dr. Tommy John, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much, Joel. <clears throat> well, hey, before we uh, get things kicked off with the questions, uh, for those people who might not be familiar with who you are, what you do, a uh, little bit about your background as an athlete, and then what got you into chiropractic and then working with athletes? So as an athlete, I was um, I played bat. Well, I played everything as a kid, um, but I played basketball and baseball in high school. And then my senior year, I ended up whittling it down to one sport. I was I was a baseball player. I was the Gatorade um, Player of the Year in 1996 in the state of Minnesota. I went to I had a Division One scholarship to Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina as a, a middle infielder and a pitcher, so a, a dual position player. Um, played four years there. And then during that time, I got invited to the Cape Cod League. That was a dream of mine, so I was, I was pretty, pretty pumped about that. Um, and then I played two years of professional baseball, just independent ball, nothing, nothing really 
too dramatic, but um, I pitched two years professionally in indie ball and then retired and then got into um, immediately after that, got into sports performance training, some personal training, and then the rehab side and pulling apart injuries, which is where the chiropractic came in because about seven or eight years into sports performance training and and rehab, um, chiro- our, our system that we utilized, it, it was supposed to be preceded by a chiropractic assessment and adjustment if necessary. And what I started to notice was that the clientele that I was getting um, after we did, we didn't have a chiropractor in house. He would come on Fridays and he would just see all our people that we had for the week, setting them up for next week. And so when I got them after those adjustments or whatever, um, he he was adjusting their spines, when I got them afterwards, their, their changes and their neurology and the way their muscles and their bodies and their balance and their ability to, to perform certain things, it was so profoundly, different and magnified that I was like, wait a second. And I'm super key on detail and and noticing things almost to a fault. (laughs) If you ask my last like six relationships, but I I do notice everything. And it's just one of those things where I was like, what are you doing in that office there? That's, that's priming this. And our chiropractor at the time really couldn't break it down. And so that's when I was like, wait a second. I thought I was at the top of the food chain with nutrition and training and movement and rehab and recovery and meditation and all these things. And I was like, wait, the nervous system and the nervous system interference between the, the brain and the body, that that is higher than, oh my gosh. And then that's when I started researching middle in the middle of my career, going back to school at 32 years old, who does that? <laughs> like <laughs> To go back to a four-year degree at 32, but it was everything inside me was, was saying, was pointing go. And I, I don't question my intuition. Um, and I did. I dropped my – I had a baseball performance business where I performed over 11,000 baseball lessons in, in eight or nine years plus the training plus the rehab plus I, I had a house. I had to just rent my house. It was just like, no, nah, I'm going. And so I got into, my, I, into the doctorate program. And then when I graduated in 2014, I've parlayed this nice little um, kind of a composite of a performance and healing center where it's chiropractic that precedes everything. And then we get into to movement and meditation, recovery and nutrition, all the things I talked about before. But it's it's a nice synergistic uh, gel of elements of healing. Oh, yeah. I, I love uh, I love talking with people who can just link up all these different facets because I mean, you can only talk about sets and reps for so long and before it's just like, okay, what else can I link this to? And how else can I uh, look at an athlete from a greater perspective? I know you also spent some time uh, learning from Jay Schrader. And I think your your general uh, paradigm and ideas towards uh, towards training is probably a lot different than, I guess, what you call modern strength and conditioning. Uh, could you share a little bit about maybe what influenced you in, in, in uh, what your viewpoint is now on how to train an athlete? Yeah, absolutely. So... I was at a place called Synergy Fitness and Sports, and it was John McNulty and Vladimir Tragus and I. And it was the three of us. And at the time when John hired me and Vladi, um, we were doing um, kind of Mark Verstegen's athlete's performance. There was Kaiser equipment, multi-directional days and linear days. You know, it was if, if anybody knows that kind of um, program uh, type setup. And so we had amazing results, you know, and, and this program's great, not, not saying anything there, but we, we, 
out of nowhere saw that special that I think a lot of people saw on ESPN with Adam Archuleta and Jay and Jay. And we were like, again, John, who was our boss at the time, was like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) And so um, one of our athletes went and trained with Jay and came back and and was just relaying what, what he had experienced. And so we were intrigued. And so John had ended up doing going out and, and meeting Jay, and we became a licensed uh, – it was Evo Sport, and then it turned into UltraFit. And so we were um, kind of intimately working with Jay and, and working – and we, we literally turned the page overnight. Like we went, okay, this program's out, and then we went – it was Ultimate Athlete was what we called it, and we went right into Evo Sport UltraFit, like, like 100% committed. And so all our athletes were like – what is this? You know, and we were doing the, the extreme slows or the isometrics that he called at the time and, and the drops and the rebounds and, and everything else. And, um, I, I was skeptical at first, just, just the newness. I'm, I'm skeptical of anything new. Um, and then I gave it a shot. It was, it was one of those things I was just like, you know what? I just don't believe anybody. Like, like I just don't believe anyone telling me something. I have to experience it. And so experiential for me and, and, just like anybody else is, is the most intimate way to learn something in, in my point of view. And so I gave a program six months and I committed to it. And I, afterwards I was like, are you, are you kidding me with this? And, and I saw results in myself and I was a post pro athlete and I was a pretty serious one who worked hard and committed myself with, and I was seeing changes in myself. And then, um, and then you start researching. I think the greatest thing with Jay that I loved and appreciated he didn't give you anything, you know, he, he wouldn't just give you information. And I love that about him because it forced you to almost challenge him and go find out for yourself. Be- and, and, and that's the thing. It was just, it forced me to question everything I once knew, everything that I had been told or everything that I ever thought was sort of a, a, a ideal. I, I was like, wait, this might not be the best way. And it just, and then it almost like the Bruce Lee was like, you know, read everything or, or take in everything, discard what doesn't make sense to you and hold on to what's yours and then make it make it your own. And that's really where I've progressed over my journey now. Um, but but very, very, very thankful for our experience with Jay and and all that, just in this sense of just question the the, the question, the dogma, <laughs> you know, just just ask, wait, why? Well, why is that? Or is there something else? Could could there be something else? And then just see what harmonizes and resonates with you. Oh, yeah. I think that's how a lot of training concepts, especially stuff that's so uniquely different, uh, being able to kind of uh, absorb what you – your slant of it almost or your, what harmonizes, like you said, what harmonizes with yourself. And I know for me too, I, I think it was – I'm not sure if it was after um, working with uh, Alex Lee a little bit or maybe a little before that, but I, I got on a kick where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to throw a lot of my old training out the window, just do a lot of extreme isos, extreme slows. for. And yeah. after like three weeks, I was up to – uh, at, at age 33 or 34, I was up to, I touched uh, the Vertec the highest I had since I had turned 30 with doing very little basic, you know, strength training. And I'm like, oh, geez, there's something to this, I think, because I, I hated doing the ISOs themselves. I'm like, this is, this is tough and this is boring or totally. whatever. And, but then I'm like, wow, like there's something to this. I, uh, what is, uh, and I, I like how you went through that yourself for six months. I think that's such a, like a critical part of that journey is going through it yourself and being able to, uh, use that as guideposts for what you end up doing with your athletes. And and I got to say, I got to give, um, I got to give, uh, I, I, Jay was one thing, but honestly, John and Vladi 
the 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 oh gosh, what the three of us would do, we would put ourselves through just this most ridiculous ringer to test everything, and Vladi especially. I've never met somebody more intelligent in person that I had a day to day with than him. But he's he's Serbian, trained and studied in Belgrade. So I'm looking at his library in his house, and I'm like. If only these were in English, I'd steal these. Like I would, I would, you know, totally, totally gank your entire library because that was his high school readings. Those were his just health class and just everything that he was. I was like, how, where are you getting this information from? And and he exposed me to a lot. But it was the two of us. We would really, really put it to the, put everything to the test. I mean, there were nights we closed the shop and we were going through. And talk about, you know, just dedication. There were some times that if we hadn't gotten done what we were supposed to do during that day and we finished up at 9.30 or 10, we were finishing up our stuff and leaving at 11.30, 11.45 to be back in the shop at 5 o'clock the next morning, you know. All for the sake of science, just for ourselves, for ourselves, not even getting paid for it, you, you know, just straight up wanting to know. Oh, yeah, that's where it all starts, though, uh, you know, for sure. And uh, how, what were the, in working with uh, Jay's, Jay's knowledge and then, uh, working with Vladi and, and those guys, what would you say were like the biggest wholesale? I mean, obviously the whole system is a shift, but what were like the most yeah. landmark things that really characterized your program after that? So, you know, it was the first time I had ever, because uh, uh, being a college athlete and then being a professional athlete and then coming into this where it was no icing for healing, I, I'd never, I'd never come across that. Like I'd never heard of that. Well, actually that's not true. One year in indie ball there was a, a pitcher by the name of russ herbert and he came out of the white Sox organization and he never iced after he started and he was one of the best pitchers i've ever seen in person that i've ever been teammates with and he um he's like yeah you know they did a bunch of research and the white Sox don't have their pitchers ice afterwards and i was like wow that's interesting so instead of being like oh no no that can't be i was like all right i'll try it <laughs> and so i did and instead of icing he would do all these movements and i was like wait the concept's very similar it just makes sense huh all right i was still sore like you're radically sore after you pitch as you should be but it was like you, you were more functional you could get back on the mound the next day and throw again and you could do stuff more um at a sooner time and you just felt more connected it was a very eye-opening experience but i'd say with jay and those guys it was the no icing there was no stretching uh, static static mm -hmm. stretching per se and i was a huge huge like 45 minute stretch routine before games. I mean, it was just like, that was me. Um, and no running per se to, to condition, you know, those three, I was like, what? And I fought them and I fought them. And then if you just dig a little and you research just a little, there's a lot of people kind of saying those things. And then you come to terms with the source of where those are all coming from. And it's like, now you can't go in the New York times and not find an article on one of those three. You, you know what I mean? Now it's just like, Hey, but um, I'd say, honestly, those three. Um, and then, of course, I'd never seen – he doesn't call them isometrics because they're a movement and, or the extreme slows, whatever you want to say they are. You know, um, uh, I had never seen those before done to that extent. You, you know what I mean? For five to seven minutes, we were doing some of them. And I was just like that, – that was very, very new to me. Um, but I still, to this day, in a committed human – I don't know of anything harder. Yeah. Committed, committed meaning you don't tap out. It's death or fail. You like fail or you accomplish the goal. Everyone else will tap out and that's fine. They're like, oh, that's not that bad. 
But if you set up in your mind that this is death, your brain knows no different. You, you know, you you just set up. This is a this is a firewalk. This is a I'm, I'm hanging over a, a pit, you know, and I'm gonna die before. I think Will Smith said I'm gonna die on the treadmill before you beat me. We'll just flip out treadmill for I'm gonna die on the glute ham <laughs> before you beat me, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the things that uh, when Alex uh, Lee came up to visit me and he was talking about learning from you, and that this stuck with me is just like not with and the extreme isos are such a simple movement. It leaves a lot of yeah. room to explore other facets of the movement. You know, it's not like a Olympic lift where you're just coaching up every little thing, but right. you can dig into the emotion of it. And, and Alex was telling me about just how important the emotional component of the movement is. And that, that really stuck with me. And I, I think, yeah, like what you were just saying, like creating imagery or uh, yeah. things around it, is, is, is that's awesome stuff. And it's interesting you said that. It's one of the first things I ask when people kind of come into my office. I say, you know, Tony Robbins says, what, what's your why or, or whoever created that? And it is. It's intention behind anything because anything we do has to have reason. And if it's tied to an emotion, it's even better. You know, so I try to connect people like, oh, you were referred to me, but what brings you in uh, my back? No. What brings you here? What do you what do you want from me? Well, my back to get better. Why? Well, because it hurts. But how does that affect you? Well, it, it's annoying. No, no more like I, it upsets me and I'm in tears because I can't get on the ground and crawl around with my kids or I can't carry my wife into bed or I can't. You, you know what I mean? I'm like, OK, that right there, because what I'm about to ask you to do is going to check that right there. And if you can't hold on to that picture, game over. Like, it's, it's not happening. We, we might as well just call this, you know, a, a laying down on a mat studio. <laughs> you know, like, I, there's, it's not happening because everything that you're going to have to do is going to take some sort of sacrifice. And to a committed person with intention, is it sacrifice or is it just what, what happens, you know? You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, I I love that stuff, man. I mean, the longer I've been doing strength and conditioning or sports performance or, or track and field, the more I'm like, you know, when I first heard that, just like the emotion behind it, it's like everything connected. It's like, okay, like, and, and he's thinking about when my athletes have performed their best, when I've performed my best, how clear the intention is and is... As soon as you kind of lose the intention or maybe maybe you're in a little bit of a lull in your career and that, that isn't as clear and present, it's just like it doesn't matter what your training program is. It, right. You're just going to stagnate for a while until you can get it back. You get the eye of the tiger back like Rocky, like we were talking about Rocky a little bit before. And I think Absolutely. that stuff always strikes home to us, right? Pick pick anything. It could be any program, but if that's that's fueling you, your your results are going to be pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, that was one of my most my favorite things. I I'd like to uh, before we get too much further, I'd like to kind of get yeah. to my formal uh, question list, which a lot of which I, I has to do with your uh, upcoming book. And so maybe for just a quick uh, you know minute, you can describe that. But one of the things that blew my mind in your book, reading through it, was and and a lot of these questions being a lot revolving around youth yeah. sports performance because just such a critical area. Uh, yes. And you had mentioned there was a ten times increase in ulnar collateral reconstruction surgeries in the 2010s versus the 1990s i don't remember the exact year but somewhere in right. that realm and so uh, what are some of the biggest problems that are contributing to this in terms of how things have changed in training and competing since then so if you if you think about if we're just talking arms and and, and the ucls the elbow ligament um the ulnar collateral ligament um 
requiring possibly Tommy John surgery. 57% of them, of all of them, 57% are happening in 15 to 19-year-olds. And that's a 2014 number. So it's going to be revisited if you can get an accurate data count because there's some data that's hidden on this topic. But um, so, so it's out of control. And, it, and it's not just baseball. There's ACLs in, in 6 to 18-year-olds have increased 60% over the 20 years. There's concussions. I mean, all sports are falling apart. And just the way I put it, and it's in the book, we cover this, it's, it's a three-headed monster um, with the biggest – the biggest kind of culprit is the youth sports industry. It's a $15 billion a year industry, and that means travel teams, specialized uh, skill, skill lessons, you know, your sporting complexes, your, your showcases, and then training, maybe nutrition or whatever. Um, but it's a billion, $15 billion industry. And as that has increased, the soft tissue revenue – so soft tissue surgery revenue is plugged to hit $17 billion by the year 2022 with the main driver being youth sports. So that, that's one-to-one. It, it's directly correlated. And when you throw in the tactics that these, these, this business ideal is using, it's going at the second cause of this increase over this period of time is the parents. You're, you're targeting parents and and really keying in on their fear of missing out. It's the FOMO that parents only want the best for their kids. But knowing that they're being pitched, if you don't start now, you're going to be left behind. That's the big hook. If you don't start now, you're going to be left behind. And it couldn't be more false. I mean, it couldn't be more opposite what that is. But again, a parent convicted doesn't, you know, and it's just one of those things where, am I doing the best for my, ah, I just don't know. And we're almost drunk on information out there and, and who to trust and what's going on. But it, it doesn't take much to see that whatever we're doing isn't isn't working. So we got the youth sports industry being $15 billion. You got FOMO from parents wanting the best for their kids and being targeted by the business. And then you throw into the mix, and I know you got a lot of questions around this, and, and I hope we get into a lot of this. It's the American lifestyle. Um, you got the American lifestyles all leaving kids – overfed and malnourished which is paradoxical in terms but it, there's there's consuming of not food it's just stuff you know so we're we're eating more things but it's not food so we're left malnourished or we're just not eating and we're malnourished um overstimulated kids and less aware so they're overstimulated by technology and the bits of information feeding off their phones is increasing a sympathetic response so their immune systems are depleting their sleeps you know, interrupted, their stress hormones are jacked, they're, they're emotionally taxed. Uh, so it, it's all feeding into that. They're overcoached and less, um, less prepared. So there's so many geniuses now and there's so many experts trying to get in on it. And there's so much software to measure in a nine and 10, 11 year old who can't even stand up or, or tie his shoes, but yet you're going to measure, you know, how he kicks a ball or, or, rotary force of his golf swing or, or something like that, you know? Um, and then they're overtrained and less developed and, and overtrained. And, and you know, this they're there, there's just so many exercise experts. You don't have to go far on Instagram. If you just have some followers, you're an expert. And, and it's just, it's hard because free enterprise, our, our ability to get out information is, is great, but then it's also a curse if we don't exercise some some control with it. So it's it's that three-headed monster that we've got going on 
that has kind of molded all these sports and affected, infected all these sports that again, if we just took the Tommy John surgery epidemic and we just looked at that as an example, 15 and 19 year olds, that's where the surgeries are more, more happening than, than anybody. Well, the problems don't start when they're 15 and 19. They started when they were eight, nine, 10, they just manifested in the 15, 19 year old. So again, if, if we go back to, cause it'd be like, what's wrong with the teenagers? Nah, it's, it's what's going on in, in, the early stages of this game and that's that's where we're at now with with all that yeah it's it's definitely something that i think will take you know just people being informed over a period of time to hopefully let that information really sink in and, and manifest itself in reality and and yeah with like the youth sports teams like you know just just have to make the next level and you have to do this to make the next level type type mentality and but it's crazy. Even some of the athletes I work with in like like swimming or, or who are really successful, which is a totally different sport altogether. Some of them yeah. were people who didn't do the two a days and just played other sports. And it's just like you can be to hear the stories of the people who were great who didn't do that stuff too is I think is always powerful and, and <clears throat> hopefully more people will just become informed of it over time. Yeah, that's that's really what it is, right? I had a reporter ask me and she brought up a great point. She's like, Okay. So let's say people do this. Like let's say they actually do what you're saying and they, they get a they, they get more educated to actually take action and they're going to stand firm in the face of this. But then their coach l- looks at them and it looks like they're less dedicated. My my son or daughter's not dedicated because they're not playing with me in the fall and winter even though it's a spring summer sport. So I said that's a great great point. I said one, if you came at him after your exit interview and he said, you know, you needed to improve your strength, your agility, coordination, balance, hand speed, whatever. And you said, okay, here's what we're going to do this offseason. Instead of playing on your three teams that, that are offered, here's what we're going to do. We've got a five-day training plan all set up and we're going to go ahead and tackle it as a family. We've also revamped our eating. We're getting food from a local farm. We've done all this research, blah, blah, blah. We're also going to take a trip to the Hall of Fame of football or the Hall of Fame of hockey or wherever that is because we want to see the history of this sport. He wants to grow in the sport. He's got three books he's going to read over the winter from some of the greats and one on grit and adversity. He's also going to attend a talk on – you know what I mean? Or and, and if I – no coach worth his salt would ever look at somebody who came with that list and be like, um, no, not good. You, you, <laughs> you got to play for me. Like, wait a second. Okay. And then just as science has proven and just the way an athlete develops, if those things are all in place, the next time you revisit the skill, your skill is going to be off the charts more so than you would ever playing the sport constantly, constantly competing and playing the skill year round. And then that same reporter goes, well, what about peer pressure? And I said, what are, you, what are parents telling kids about drugs and alcohol? Like, <laughs> is it? You know, so when kids are going to offer you like cigarettes and drugs and alcohol, what do you tell? You know, and we hope that's all we can do is just raise and we hope like, hey, I'm not going to do that. That's not good for me. That's not good for my brain or my spinal cord. That's not good for my health. Well, it's getting to the point that now there's so much information. Hey, I'm not playing because that's not good for me. I'm not going to have a smartphone because it's not good for me. And then those kids now know and they stood up just like the kids smoking in the group. And it's just like. It's becoming the point where surgery or health just as bad as what the down effect, down, uh, uh, the negative effect of, of smoking and alcohol early age would be, you know. So if we just inform and we hold that 
true to the main goal, which is hopefully, hopefully a healthy athlete, not just a superstar kid, because that's what we got. We got these elite youth and dysfunctional teens, elite youth and dysfunctional, unhealthy adults. And that's got to change. Yeah, you had, you had mentioned um, like playing a sport all year round. And, and and I know that obviously rest being critical, but even also and looking at like the Jay Schrader, kind of the extreme slows and, and, and not really running, being able to do some of that like extreme slows, reactive work, optimizing your human machinery, not running, but then that making you faster. Like you didn't have to run to get faster in the sense. I mean, obviously you have to run, but like yeah. you need to take yeah. a break from that motor pattern that you're just digging a huge hole in and learn something else and then go back to it and you'll be fine and, and or better. And and that's something I think people need to understand too. It's it's hard for people to wrap their brain around like do something else and rest and you will be better. And uh, one of the, the next questions I'd like to ask you is uh, when should athletes really start to consider training versus playing? So like at what age – is it good for an athlete to be like, okay, I can start formally training for this sport versus, uh, you know, the kids just growing up playing in the playground, doing a bunch of things. Uh, what's your take on that and how, how that ratio changes over time? And that, that's hard. Um, because you know, it, everybody's going to be different. And, and to say playing free play is almost extinct. So, it's now you can't even send them outside because they'll go hold up in these hives and they'll look at phones, you, you know, so they'll go outside, but they all got phones. So they're all sitting down. So it's like, what's the optimal free play amount? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's almost one of those things that training can, can take place. And, and again, what's the definition of training really? Right. Cause I think free play is, is kind of a form of training. Right. And so it's, I think we're always game to train. It just depends what the definition of training would be, but depending on when we get to that point, when is it? Is it is it a twelve or thirteen year old? Is it eleven and twelve year old? I mean, it's all moving anyway, if you think about it. So it's like, when is a kid too young to squat? Well, he did it when he was nine months or you know ten months. So he deadlifted at one. He was he was marching it, you know. They skipped it, so I I don't know. They climbed and, and hung from stuff, you know, when we were two <laughs> or earlier. So I, I just think if it depends what the definition of training really is, it can it can start as early as you know. I mean, humans are de, humans are designed to move. If if movement is your your precursor of training or, or the 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 holding foundation of your training, then training can ensue as early as possible and if there is no free play and it's then you know there is an element of like what's the randomness i love that i love when there's randomness and an athlete has no there's no sets and reps and you're forced into a system but it's it's almost like trying to create an environment where random order is it and they can be intuitive you know i love the concept of intuitive training um it's kind of along the lines of what I do in my office, but, but, um, it's, it's free play should be promoted as much as possible. And then assuming it's adequate training and getting under a bar, getting under a wooden dowel can be, can be earlier for those that are developed earlier. But again, how do you, we, we don't know. Right. And then when do you resist the movement on the, the barbell or when do you add the, the wooden dowel to a, to a 12 pound barbell? or a, a 33 pound barbell or whatever it is. I don't know. Like 
like whoever's assessing the movement should see. The movement should be very similar when you're unloaded or loaded. So that that that's different for everybody. But I think if we can try to promote free play as much as possible, keep the smartphones out of the hands until their teenage years, which is going to be a beast, but do it. Um, and uh, construct your outside. I saw some a wellness woman on Instagram. She she did like an obstacle course as her backyard, like to get from one end of the backyard to the other. <laughs> you had awesome. to climb and go from hoops and go up this stuff. It was fantastic, and it was just this effort made by this mom because she's like, "Look, my kids don't go out and play anymore, so I'm gonna make sure that <laughs> that's their only option." You know, and so we used to back in the day, right? You didn't have to tell us. We you had to bring us back in. Well, now you got to flip the script a little bit. Um, but I think training, when it's when it's in its primitive form of, of movement, can can happen. I mean, really early on, to where it's almost not considered training. It's just, hey, we're gonna move around today. We're gonna move around, and see see what see what happens. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, no doubt. I love I love that obstacle course idea. It's like I saw, I saw a meme. Uh, it was something like you know what. Play used to be in the backyard, just kids running everywhere, climbing on everything, racing, and, right. and, and whatever. And then now it's like play. Now is everyone just sitting around a tree on their smartphones, like right. that's playing, like I'm outside and on my phone. It's like what if that? What if it was like to get on your phone, you have to go through this obstacle course, and you can send a text right. or a Snapchat, and then you have to go back, and then to do another one, you have to run through it again. Or I don't know, like maybe there'd be an app for that in the future. Yeah. Oh God, right, right, like an app. Right. It's like do do twenty five push ups or I don't know go run and then send this next text or uh, <laughs> I don't know but it, it'd be crazy. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say too like with the um, it is like it is terminology right like I, I word that question yeah. it's like it yeah. could be a lot of things like and I think about like my best seasons as a track athlete and right. every day was fun like even if it was a harder workout it was still it was still enjoyable and fun and I never. I never dreaded it and every you know I was in the jumps and so that was like jumping to a bar it's like playing every day you know and it's even you know doing cleans and stuff in the weight room to me that was just playing and 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 I was it I had an interesting kind of upbringing in sport where I never really had a coach who was really truly versed in the movements but I almost felt like a yeah. lot of times like that was a blessing like that I wasn't like assaulted with all these cues when I was in high school and college and I yes. just kind of did what my body was going to do and I I watch videos of myself jumping in retrospect. And I'm like, man, like that's amazing that I did that. I had no clue what I was doing. It's just, but my body was doing the right thing. Like that, in, the intent was there, and I just felt like that, that was really powerful. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing you said that that was the intent. It was like the reason doing it, and it should be it should be a good time. And in, it's not labor. It's just part of the deal when our goal is whatever our goal is. Like I'm, I just want to. And that's where I think, like, is your child want to be the best athlete they do or is it you? Because the child that's driven, who wants to, you won't have to take them to practice. They will go. Yeah. <laughs> you won't have to send them. They will take a stick and create a game. That's what will happen. Maybe just your child doesn't want it. It's okay. It's okay. They don't have to be superior. They can just play. It's okay. Um, um I have something to say about the uh, oh 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 some of the best patients and it's it's interesting you brought up that point and I'm just noticing so over the course of time when I've evaluated athletes and it's usually because of an injury so I, I wish I could get them beforehand and just just see just see how we're doing to just keep them on the right path or, or help nudge them 
Um, but the ones that come in that really don't take a long time to heal and get back up to a level higher than they were beforehand, when I ask them the, or, or I evaluate them or I do functional tests of some kind, the ones that blow the tests up are the ones where I'm like, hey, what do you do for training? They're literally the ones, uh, I don't know, I'm just like down in my basement. I just like, I just like do this and they'll just demonstrate a squat. And I'm like, okay, anything else? And they're like, oh, yeah, I just kind of do this and they'll stride out into a lunge. And I'm like, oh, a squat and a lunge. Do you do, you do weight at all? Do you resist? Yeah, I'll like hold like a, like a book like on my chest. And I'm like, all right, anything else? Yeah, I'll like, I don't know, I just like hold like a bag of, it, it, it's like, Literally, the ones that function better were the ones that weren't, like you said, assaulted with all these cues, but they were they explored it on their own. And yeah, they got injured. So it's like, well, what's the point? Right. But injury is sometimes unavoidable. It's sports, man. Like, <laughs> don't play sports if you don't want to get injured. Yeah. You know, like that's that's it. You don't want to get in an accident. Don't drive a car. I promise you, you'll win. <laughs> um, but their rate of success in healing that injury at the source and then having it not come back and then actually raising their, their bar and their level of homeostasis. It was like, it's so much more abrupt. It's so steep and it's males, females. And I'm like, is there something there? Are we getting in the way? And that's why I said the overcoached and, um, under, underprepared, you know? Yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah. When I, my first experience with weights, my, I mean, I started lifting, pretty early like at, at 12 yeah. but it was just my dad's concrete kmart kmart weight set and a, a little <laughs> yeah. manual i had to figure out like i was just trying to figure stuff out i didn't know but yeah. that was part of the journey for me is just trying to figure out how to train without people coaching me and I, I love that example it's just like or even like if all you had was a kettlebell like and you just figure figure out how to train with this thing and they want to it's like it's awesome like it's it, that's it more so than okay, you're gonna do three sets of 10 squat, you're gonna do these X cues, and you're gonna run like this and <laughs> just create a robot exactly. factory, like, you know, almost confined by the reps and sets where it's you have to get inventive. And it's all stimulus anyway, like, that's all it is. So you just figured out a way to stimulate your body to grow. Great. What a what a great concept, like you figuring out you, you heal you, you yeah. <laughs> take you. I love it. Yeah, I love that. That's that's a, such a cool anecdote too. That those are the fastest healers too. I oh man, yeah. It's I mean that's all. I mean I I know as an athlete like you had to almost pay me to go in the training room. I'm like I'll just get better myself. Like you know, I had that mentality. <laughs> like like it was it was like that for me. And I I really like that anecdote. I uh, so so uh, tailing off that too. What is your approach yeah. to strength work? Like traditional barbell strength work in athletes. So athletes coming in. You're training with you uh what age like are, are they starting to pick up a barbell what's your approach to that type of work as athletes yeah. move forward so i love i love um the performance pyramid um with the bottom part of the pyramid being the functional movements the, the foundation of everything we do as a human athlete um regardless of sport and i got to be honest with you like even even when when Jay uh, excuse me when John Vladi and I were in Chicago I I and I guarantee you they'd say the same thing because I've had extensive conversations with Vladi where him and I just the wee hours of the night talking this stuff out we've stayed a majority of the time even high end NFL NHL NBA high end you found yourself kind of sticking around in that bottom section because it was so poorly developed it was so – it's like how are they superstars? Well, they're, they're superstars just because they're, 
they're kind of kind of groomed freaks like like they're just wired differently like they don't know anybody but the superstar who's able to sustain is the one that has the properly formed approach and so we would sit in a rehab setting usually any injury that would come in usually the dysfunction lied down in some of those basic movements that's all we were trying to restore and then when you stayed there you could resist or stimulate or electrify or or amplify a movement when the person had it and so that's my approach it's assessing movement um and then watching what the body shows me watching how they sort of compensate if i set up two parameters this is beginning this is end and the brain will just kind of come out of that to try to figure it out and sustain and so i just kind of observe in each person it's a lot of body weight stuff initially um and then we'll resist it. I love barbells. I, I love barbells. I got a lot of PVC pipes in my office um, as progressions into barbells. I got the body body bars as well. So it's like a 12, 18, 24, 36, um, and then a 45, the 45 bars as well. Um, but I love barbell work. And again, barbell work is is barbell work on movements. And and so it all comes down to like movement. And I'm a, a movement Vladi makes fun of me. He calls me a name. I'm not going to say it on here, but he calls me a movement and a bad name after. Because <laughs> he's like, that's what you become. He's like, you're just a movement, that name. And I'm like, well, you know, and I, I'm expressing some some strength traits now. Like I'm, I won't do any of these tests, but I'll just visit them every six months. And I'm like, what? And they're like still going up. And I just cracked 40. And I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. So it might not be the what, it's the how to the max, you know, it could be anything, but it's the how. So I'm obsessed with movements in my office. Um, I'm obsessed with revisiting the movement. So if we leave the movement, I love taking the body weight of a person and dropping it off of a height and increasing the amount of force. Cause if you think in sports, it's not a weight in sports. That's really breaking us down. It's force. You know, a five ounce baseball is 32 pounds of force and a 90 mile an hour hand. I think, I think was what I, I read, but, um, you know, the basketball doesn't weigh a lot. The football doesn't weigh a lot. A person of 180 pounds moving at whatever miles per hour is a massive amount of force. Walking is two to three times our body weight of force. Jogging, maybe three to four times, five times. So it's not weight per se, but force, 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 force. So, um, if I could take a body weight and generate a massive amount of force, with just them creating the stimulus from inside them out with very little outside in, I, I find the, the, the quicker tie to it transferring into life. So the quicker the person becomes more athletic in whatever it's going to be, whatever trait you want to measure. Um, and then, you know, utilizing smaller dumbbells, uh, again, the pipes, um, the PVC pipes as well, but sometimes just going heavy, just, just to stimulate again, like I'll have people just hold stuff. You saw my video on Instagram the other time. It was just deadlifts at the top. Why? I, honestly, just to stimulate. Like, I don't know. It just came to me. I was doing it with them. I'm like, you know what? From 70 years old down to 14, we're going to, we're going to pick something up today. <laughs> and that's it. And then they found like they're able to stimulate better because of that foundation they've already got. And then we go back to revisiting those movements and owning those movements and owning those movements because every single day is a threat. Every every life activity is a threat to us doing those movements in the 
you know, least less resistance possible. So we just got to keep visiting, visiting, visiting. And the older we are, the more injured we are, the more we got to do it. One of the things you said, I, I really like this, and, and it makes me think. I think where the modern SNC sports performance probably leans more towards the top of the pyramid than the bottom. Yeah, and yeah. to you also said it there, like being able to do movement work. Uh, I'm assuming like ex, you know, a lot of the extreme isos and slows and and various ways to manipulate and control body weight. If you're doing that and the maxes are going up without having to do a lot of the barbell work, that's like that's winning, man. I mean, that's. To me, that's where it's at, especially with a younger athlete where it's like, don't you want to adapt to, to no weight? You know, like, don't you want the ultimate adaptation to be to no weight if, as long as you're producing a ton of force more so than right. adapting to a heavy bar on your back over time? Not that squats are bad, but just like, what are you adapting towards? Like, what what's, right. what's your end game? Or if we resist, if we even resist a poor movement, then you're like locking it in and the person can't make the correction under the resistance. You know, they can't make whatever you've, you've noted as correct, you know, or they've noted as correct. Um, I always, I say, I, I think I mentioned this in the book. It's like, it's like athletes coming to me or human athletes coming to me learning, trying to learn how to spell their name right. But the American training system of increase ability now, increase the top two sections of the pyramid, increase your skill now. It's like, they're still spelling their name wrong, but they're just pressing harder. <laughs> so it's like really wrong, you know? <laughs> no, I, I like that analogy a lot. That's, yeah. that's awesome yeah. stuff. I mean, it's like, yeah, the longer I've gone through this and, and the more training methods I've been exposed to that, that do relate to functional human movement or play or any of that stuff, the more I'm just like, man, if I can, I mean, that's, it's almost like should be a rule. Like get your max up by max out the bottom of the pyramid first before oh gosh before yep. you just jump to the top and i think that's the that tends to be one of the biggest shortcuts that we tend to take uh, what is your take in terms of um i think we've probably talked about it already but what are some uh, drawbacks in terms of like the modern approach like that you yeah. see in terms of keeping athletes healthy like what what about the modern yeah. approach is going to show up in injuries so in, in my opinion, and I, I'm, I'm obsessed with injuries, right? And I'll, I, I feel, and I've, I've attended and consulted with some gyms and some places in San Diego. And I'm, you can kind of watch somebody move and you can be like, what's the injury history in that person? Well, most facilities won't tend to any previous injuries. They'll just go right in. And as long as there's no pain, Let's go. You're entered in. And it's like, well, wait a second. Pain is the last thing to show up and it's the first thing to go away. It should, it's a really crappy marker mm -hmm. for determining function, you know? So like, don't even, don't even talk about it. But first, what injuries have you had? If there's injuries to the feet, oh my gosh, then we've got a compromised ankle, foot and calf system where everything else is sitting up on top of it and has made adjustments along the way. Has anybody dealt with, and there's a major leaguer, I'm not going to say his name, he um, had when he signed when he went through his physical. He's a big time, big time major leaguer now, and he was just signed. And it's a big deal. He's he's doing so well, and I'm so pumped. But uh, he had an elbow flare up, and I immediately go and try to dive in Google, and I'm trying to find his injury history. Well, the first surgery he had was to his ankle, and then his opposite quad blew, and now it's his opposite elbow. So now. How many in the organization have gone to his ankle or his quad? I can, I can almost guarantee you nobody. 
nobody in, in their physical therapy would do it because that's just not the model. Um, and, and so I, I, again, I don't want to be injured to prove a point ever, but I just trail some of those things. And the second biggest cause to injury with the first being the body's inability to absorb force. Force goes into the body. Muscles are supposed to absorb it. Done. If it's adequate, if it's appropriate, we, we, we're fine. We're good to go. If it's not, something's going to break down. The second biggest cause to injury is previous injury. And that's where I go. And the first question I ask after, hey, what, what brings you in here? Why? And get them to tie an emotion to it is, all right. Um, and they're pointing to their neck or they're pointing to their back. And I'm like, okay, uh, any injury history your feet, ankles? You're wearing orthotics now, collapsed arches. And they're like, what? And it's, it's almost like a, what are you talking about? Why, why are we talking about my feet? I came in because of my hand. You know, what does that have to do with anything? And then when I get done explaining, they're like, oh, my gosh. Or you end up finding out there was stuff that was unresolved, and it was certainly the cause that strung up the – and it's almost like the modern approach to training is just push around the injuries mm -hmm. throughout the body, almost like pushing vegetables on a plate. Just spread them around and just point, show the plate. I finished my vegetables. And it's like I'm not injured. You know, my shoulder's good. I know, but it moved to your elbow. I know, but my shoulder's good. And so I think one of the biggest downfalls to the American approach to training or performance training is not dealing with massively, massively dealing with previous injuries. And there is no difference between rehab and performance and recovery and building and power. And training is training is training. Who you are along that stream is whoever you enter in. If you're injured, okay, it's still training. You just – you're just down on the functional level, but but you're still training, and if you're adequate, fine, you're up higher up on it. If it's recovery, it's still training. Like you're always training, rather than segregating. Oh, go to the rehab room, or you're in the special recovery room over there. Oh, and we're in the training room here. Like, wait, what? Isn't it all training? And I think that's one of the biggest flaws. Is is everything separated? where everybody needs to be integrated. And I believe it's like that in other countries from what I've asked people. Like the strength and conditioning specialist is in cahoots with the sports medicine department, is in cahoots with the orthopedics. But in America, orthopedics and medical like reign supreme. No orthopedic is ever going to say they know function. They don't know. They repair broken parts. And then you go into the sports med department and they're reducing symptom. Done. That's all they want to do. Reduce symptom, quiet it down. Don't even worry about it. And then you got the strength and conditioning guy where or girl, and maybe they're they're trained or developed or, or they got a really good approach, but it's like, what am I supposed to do? I, I, I'm at the mercy of all those ahead of me, where it's like everybody should kind of be in this this sort of hydra, like like we're all kind of working together and everyone's discussing everything, you know? Um that's that's another thing I feel is kind of um is kind of backwards. And then I, I talked about it before where it's again the the American training model is is bigger, faster, stronger at the expense of durability. So just increase ability at whatever expense. But it's not the the sexiness to training to me when somebody's like, hey, I improved this, this, this. Great. How long can you stay there? Mm -hmm. And that's the that that's the thing. And and you know, so to see somebody like Tiger Woods reinvent himself like three or four times and still compete at that level. That's the stuff or Tom Brady or the Derek Jeters or Kobe's or the, they're all superstars. But the superstars that year in, year out have figured out ways to stay at that level. That's those are the guys I want to talk to.
Yeah, that's right. that's the ones I want to model myself after, or my my athletes. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Uh, I agree. I, I like what you said about rehab and, and training. And I, I, for me, being a track guy, the anecdotes that have always just stuck with me is, and I know this happens to other sports too, but you get hurt, you go re, you do rehab exercises for like three, four weeks, and you come back and you set a PR. And it's like, and people don't look at what you just did, like all the attention you just paid to your own body and how you moved and actually being in tune with your body more than just doing, you know, just a bunch of the same gross movements you've done over and over and over again and getting some variety. And I, I that always is something that I'm always thinking about and how that relationship is so close to actual training. And what's interesting, you said it there, and I was, I was, I'll even say his name. I might butcher his name. Um, when I was first exposed to this, Vladi actually gave me the 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 research. I think his last name is Amasov. Amasov. He's a Russian, uh, maybe surgeon, maybe, but he is a movement guy. And he was talking about these thousand movements a day, and he had this list of ten of them. But the biggest point I saw, and this was when we were getting into to rehab and pulling this stuff apart, is. He, he said something that, that rung true, and I still say it today. Move every joint you have a day the number of times you are years old. So, so as you age, you're moving more. That's the concept. If a joint is injured, you want to move it two to 300 times, especially your spine. And I was like, what? Two to 300 times on an injured area? That's insane. And then you started doing it, in our, and that's all we did. Well, we did more than that. And the results were ridiculous. And it's like, wait a second. Wait, when we're injured, we have to train harder than everybody? Oh, my gosh. And now it just makes sense. You have an injury pattern in order to break it. You have to have a stimulus greater than what caused the injury. If it was emotional or something else, which there is, holy my gosh. And that's very foreign to people now. Injury, train more, harder, more than ever. Wait, that what are you talking about? That That's not the – and it's all parlayed where it's all into recovery. Recovery is movement. This is it. And the guy that came up with the Rice Protocol, he even he said, now, you know, don't ice injuries. In 2014, Dr. Merkin was like, you start moving that joint immediately to reestablish that pattern of health because the limp pattern or the, the compensatory pattern will stay there to help you survive so you can run from the lion or the rhino or the dino, <laughs> whatever it's going to be. But – we need to reestablish that as soon as possible, you know, so out of the boot, off the crutch, marching, doing whatever you can to reestablish. So, again, rehab and in, in, in injuries or old injuries, chronic or acute, training more than anybody. Yeah, I like uh, <laughs> the icing thing is always gets me, too. It's like you think about like a caveman. It's like I don't think our bodies were wired so that you're a caveman and you have to run to the icy stream to like heal or something like that. I don't think there'd be a lot of people left, you know, to, to heal that ankle up for the run for the line. If that was a necessity to speed that up, it's like your body, your body can do it. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't make sense. No. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, um, Oh yeah. The, the, the age before beauty, I think it, what you were mentioning, like the number of joints and move that, so as you were saying, I was kind of actually flexing my neck to the side a little bit. And, and I was like, Oh yeah, I, I need to start doing that. And the spine, especially that's like, I've, I, one thing that stuck with me too, is like, they say you're as old as your spine basically. And yes. I'm like, yeah, I think that's true. I, I saw some video of some of the Brazilian, like 60 year old men break dancing and doing insane stuff. And they just look so like youthful and lively. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, it's just, so cool and and uh yeah it's it's a good reminder too um 
is you you just reminded me i'm just sitting here like moving my spine around like, oh, geez, I'm gonna do a little <laughs> today. if we if we literally think that every single thought every single transmission of everything that we've ever we will ever do has to travel down through the spine has to travel through the spinal cord and out the vertebra first to reach the body then everything we do is dependent on the spine and you know, there's that going around is 90% of the nutrition and, and stimulus to the brain is for movement of the spine because there's so much proprioception that comes from that. That's why my spinal hygiene, those those seven moves or six moves, literally, that's my bread and butter, what I've been sticking with. And then you can go ahead and do a rebound pull up or a pull up with your last two fingers or a drop from 70 inches off a box. And, you know, and it's all like, wait a second, all that's integrated it's the most important structure in our body for transmitting forces from like our innate starting in mind, soul, whatever you want to say, wherever it starts in the brain. Like, okay, then that, that must be it. And an appropriate sensation to add it, adapt to like our environment. If something's on your leg or there's a temperature change or a, you know, infestation of bacteria or some sort of imbalance, that all has to go back through that structure. So, so everything's going to go through there let's focus there and really when you squat what breaks first your legs or does your back go forward you know like think about that right like the extensors like wow that's interesting like how important though everything that's attached to the spine is and and tommy or dr dr john in terms of uh like functional functional movement and you had mentioned this uh, just talk about how important that is for the people listening to uh, this is all awesome stuff. I think it's at the bottom of that period. I think that pyramid is something I think that we need to just, and I'm always continually just to refine, 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 and making sure that's in place before, uh, you know, intensification of everything else becomes a priority. But if you had to kind of whittle things down to maybe three or four movements, you really like to see athletes do well awesome. on the bottom of the pyramid. What are some of those uh, things you like to see? That, that's, that's, Great. Um, I love this. I love this question because I constantly ask myself that. I'm like, if I had to like stream, like, what would it, what would it come down to? And I love, I love. Um, four, there's four. If we can go four, just simple. Um, squat, and you can kind of put squat with deadlift. And not that they're in, they're not the same. I get it, but like squat. Let's just say that action. Um, a lunge, splitting your stride. And then a pushing of some kind, whether it's a prone, you know, push up like a plank. I love that from the hands. I love pushing and then pulling. So some pull, whether it's hanging. So I'll literally, I told, I told somebody two to 300 squats a day, five minutes hanging from a bar, um, two to 300 lunges or a five minute lunge in whatever position you feel is necessary. And then a five minute push up from the top or push up from the bottom. Just rotate those all day, every day. Do them every six hours. Like, I, I dare somebody to come in and say that didn't help. You, you know, it, as a as a baseline before you do anything else. Um, I love that because in all those movements comes breath work to stabilize your spine in a position as you go through in the squat and the lunge and the push up and the and the hang, um, stimulating. Because I feel that the shoulders and the hips, um, very identical. Shoulder blades and the hip blades, deltoids and the glutes, internal rotators, external rotators. At the end of those joints, you got hands and feet that are very, very developmentally similar. You got forearms and calves. You got hamstrings and biceps. Like we're almost a mirror image at the waist up and down, almost that we were on all fours at one point. 
maybe, you know, but we have people doing planks from your elbows. Like, wait a second, use your hands, connect yeah. your hands to yeah. your shoulders. You know what I mean? Connect your feet to your hips, do everything in between. Everything is just fall in between. So I love those four a squat or deadlift lunge, push, pull. Yeah. That's, I like how simple that is too. I think a lot of people, I mean, it's like functional, this functional training. It's like, Oh, it should be super complex. Like that, that functional patterns guy who's got like a million Instagram yeah. followers. And it's like, no, it doesn't yeah. have to be this hard. And, and it just, uh, one of the things too, I think that, um, that I think is resounding to me, especially about like Jay's, what I've learned of Jay's system is like the high reps. Cause I think a lot of people, um, yeah, <clears throat> well, a lot of people will look at that and be like, Oh, slow twitch. Like, you know, don't do that. It's going to, I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? Like the, the, the volume that's, that's, uh, yeah. comes with the, the, the functional system there. So it, I, I, it all, it all based on the, the how, right? So let's just say from what I've experienced and, and this, we can even get into the extreme slows cause Vladi and I put this to a test. We took a year, a year to challenge this. If we total up five minutes of a lunge, let's say, okay. Now, if I, I have two ways of going about it. I can resist gravity as long as possible for five minutes. That's one way that that might be called the extreme slow or what we was delivered to us that way. And, and whoever else does that, that just resist gravity, fight, fight the urge to fall. That's it. Then it was pull into position as hard as you can with the antagonist. So if it's the lunge, it's going to be the front hamstring and you're driving the back glute to extend the hip flexor, the back leg. Like, okay, if your sprint pace Really, you start to feel like you lose control right at about 30 seconds or so. And, and if you're, you're, you stay clean with like where you're pulling as, as hard as you think you can and you start to lose that edge of, ah, I'm just not, I'm not there. I'm not sprinting anymore. So it's going to be about what, like 30 seconds. Well, then you're going to take maybe 10 sets to get five minutes, right? It's still a five-minute lunge. I experienced benefits from both that I can't say one is better than the other. So I love both that I'll literally will tell people, listen, five minute, just fight, fight, hold position, fight with everything you've got. Now, some might say that's slow, that's whatever. Well, we need a certain amount of strength endurance, you know, to feed in the other energy systems because we can't sprint if we can't hold ourselves in a position for a period of time. Like, so everything's kind of based on that. But then there's other times where it's like, okay, here's, we're going to go, you know, 10 sets of 30 seconds. And I might amplify somehow, um, load it or, or electrify it or have them pull the ones that can comprehend that pulling or a manual hold of some kind. Um, but again, I love the flipping back and forth where the volume, it, it it's both it, it's, it's us being upright. So if I'm a pitcher and I'm going to throw my bullpens were 400 pitches, they were three to four hundred pitch bullpens on on heavy work days. Okay, my dad would throw sometimes for ninety minutes off a mount, ninety minutes off a mount, and didn't miss a start after it. So we're just talking baseball now, okay? But you can apply this anywhere. Now I got to be upright to deliver on that mount, so I have to endure positions. I have to endure movements over and over and over. I also every twenty to thirty seconds or so have to have an unlimited amount of extreme high caliber effort that I'm putting everything I've got into it 
to ac- to accomplish the most finite, precise skill set I can possibly do called throwing a ball to a spot, the spot of a dime. That's what I'm shooting for. Um, so if I threw for, for 300 pitches, that's 300 single events of everything I've got. So there's sometimes, again, in my office where – it might be a front raise 300 times. Sometimes it's, I'll literally say you're just jogging. Just jog with your shoulders. And you're just going to move 300 times. And then other times I'm like, all right, 300 sets of one. And they're like, what? 300 sets of one. You know, each one is a, de- is a different entity. So you, you apply everything you've got. If you're taking swings or if you're shooting free throws, you don't just get the ball and hawk it. You get the ball, you set your feet, you go through your setup, pow! And then you go, you know what I mean? Whatever execution is going to be fine. Then there's their 300 sets of one or 300 reps. I love them both. I don't think either one is a Trump. I think a Trump card. I think we have to utilize both. But again, the volume has to exceed what we're preparing for. And in the puny major league market (laughs) where pitchers are expected to throw 100 pitches and that's the most astounding game day they've ever had ever because we're pitch counting them to death because of the money involved and the agent ball that's going on. Well, if it's 100 pitches now on the toughest day, they also did seven, five or seven in between between, uh, innings. So that's another 50 or 60 pitches depending on how many innings they pitch. Plus their pregame, which I hope is at least 100 pitches. So now we're talking like a 300-pitch effort on a, on a regulated pitch count day. If you're not trained to exceed 900 pitches, I love the three rule. I don't know where I picked that up. I might have read it. I might have done something. I love it. I don't, know if there's, <laughs> I don't know if there's like a real basis behind it, but I do know training should exceed the performance environment. And so bottom line, I've got tennis players right now. They play seven days a week. Okay, you've got to find time to train 21 times. And they're like – what? Well, yeah. I mean, it just stands to reason. Your performance can't exceed your preparation. What the hell's what's happened to us? And that's where we are. We're trying to perform more than we prepare for, and then we're confused because we can't. So there's your volume question, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, as I've grown in kind of learning of the system, I definitely have got the point where I don't disagree with the high reps. Given that, yeah, there's that maximal intent is there that uh, yeah. you're getting the most out of your nervous system, and I think we do get a little afraid of becoming slow twitch monsters. But I don't think the isometrics really do that to you. It's it's like you know maybe if you're going to be like a I don't know if you're like cr- climbing a hill with a pack for you know four hours or something you constantly maybe I don't know. But I didn't I didn't really thought the isometrics and that would really do that to you. And then yeah, like with the intent there being such an important component. Right. I just love them both. I love both sides of that. Yeah. Right on. Right on, man. Well, hey, uh, Dr. John, I think that's all the time for the show I have today. <laughs> but. Uh, awesome talk man such such good information uh hope it helps a lot of people out with uh steering uh steering this thing we call training the best direction for uh any athlete really but especially uh the youth of america so keep Mm -hmm. on doing what you're doing it was great talk with you today thanks joel i appreciate the opportunity man All right, thanks for tuning in. Episode 101, the uh, again, the, the second century here on the Just Fly Performance Podcast, and I think we kicked it off real well. So if you enjoyed this show, please uh, head to iTunes, Stitcher, leave us a five-star review. We totally appreciate that. Also, check out our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, 
K-Box, free lap timing system, gym aware, they have contact mats, force grids, uh, stuff that is going to revolutionize the data collection as well as the motivation of your athletes in training doing to get that immediate output of their sprint or jump. So check them out, great blog as well. And we'll see you guys next week with another great episode.